0: Slightly different, Mav Geeks this week. Uh, myself and Jamie have had a bit of a road trip, uh, and we're just outside REF Filindale's. It is the worst weather day ever, isn't it? Oh,
1: it's pea soup, PM pea <laughs> soup. I can't, well, there's a sheep. <laughs> I mean 20 yards beyond that I can't see anything
0: You would never even know that Oriel Finlandales existed with the P Super but we're here uh, and we're here to um, speak to the guys about the 30th anniversary this year of the radar and uh, really looking forward to it Have you ever been here before Jamie?
1: I used to live in Scarborough so I, I know this area reasonably well but in my day there were golf balls here, you know, the big white golf balls. Yeah, 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 yeah. Things have very much changed now. And this is partly why we're here. It's the anniversary of this array, uh, radar array that they've got, which looks very different to how it used to.
0: Very moody, I seem to think. It's like a monolith, isn't it? So, um, just waiting to go in now. So, we'll we'll see you inside. Right, cool. Just, uh, so, can, so, can we, we just... Um, have your names and what you do here, is
2: that all right? Yes,
3: it is. So I'm Flight Lieutenant Richie Weeks and I'm the Media Communications Officer at RAF Filing Dales.
2: Um I'm Lacey Harrison. I'm a Space Analyst working for Circo, um, aiding the RAF in the Space Operations. side.
0: So what is it like working at somewhere like Filingdale's? Because, I mean, obviously it's took us a little while to find it. It's just out in the middle of nowhere. It's not like your usual RAF base or army base, is it? It's, it's just something quite special. What's it like working here?
3: It's a, it is a special place to work. Obviously the weather and our location play an important part of that because we have to be very, very careful with, with our people because of right up on the North York moors, mm. weather conditions deteriorate so quickly. But more importantly, we have to maintain the mission. So without being too American about <laughs> We have to ensure that our mission is service, and that is our ballistic missile early warning, and that's what we're here for. So people servicing this mission, our operators, they're the key component to all of this. So it's important that no matter what the weather, they're in there 24 hours a day, manning that radar and producing quality output for our uh, chain of command down at UK Space Command.
1: You mentioned the US there's a huge American flag right next to your desk. That would seem to indicate that there's some kind of relationship going on there. I just like Americans. (laughs) But you do work closely with your American colleagues. We do, we do. So if you think about
3: back in the 60s when, well, actually it was 57 when Sputnik was first launched, and I'm sure Lacey will be able to explain a lot more about Sputnik than I will ever will be able to, but if you think about 1957, Sputnik was launched, first man-made satellite to, to go into space. Americans were really, really worried about this because... The space race was on. The Russians had beaten the Americans, lots of consternation across the globe because of this race to potentially put things into space. So, as a direct result of Sputnik, the Ballistic Missile Early Warning System was set up and there were three original sites and Feilandales was a Ballistic Missile Early Warning Site, BMuse 3 paid for by the Americans manned by UK personnel and specialist contractors. So the American flag, yeah, it is a significant part because that partnership was established in the 60s and it's been getting stronger and stronger over the last maybe 20 years as those partnerships and especially with the global situation. It's not just our American colleagues now. More and more countries are are creating their own space forces. So you think about the Americans have had one for I think about two or three years now. You know We've established UK Space Command first time ever, which is a big thing. Mm The Australians—they have their own, the Australian Space Force. Probably a couple of other nations. The Germans are very, very much into uh, through their military. But it is a collaboration. Probably, maybe speak about. A government strategy that went out just fairly recently about how we're going to tackle the challenges in space. It's a military-civilian cooperation and collaboration, which we've never had before. You know, this is groundbreaking stuff. God, that was a boring answer, wasn't it? No,
0: no, it wasn't at all. It wasn't. You were were right there, Rich. We loved it. So you, you talk about the mission and you've sort of alluded to what that is. Obviously, we know that a lot of what you do is watching. Is a lot of it quite mundane? Well,
3: I mean, I was an operator but it, over 10 years ago now, and I think, I mean, Lacey, you'll probably be able to know how space has, has changed, even from 10 years ago, how much busier it is. So, you know, our primary mission is ballistic missile early warning, so that's what we're geared up to do. Anything that goes into space with a ballistic trajectory, we, we will detect uh, with our system of sensors, that's primary mission number one. But because we can see into space, three thousand miles up, mm. all the way up there, we can see lots of other objects as well, so satellites, debris, and that keeps us really, really busy because space is incredibly busy.
0: I was just going to say as well, you did say about with the weather and looking after the people that work here and keeping that mission going. Apart from the weather, what other challenges do you have?
3: It's it's the location, so the the location, yeah, yeah. So you travelled up today. It's quite remote. Things like internet connection, telephone connections are mm. quite challenging up here, and we need
1: even in this day and age.
3: Even in this day and age, wow. <laughs> even in this day and age, we're getting surprising. much better. Yeah. We're getting much better. I've done it.
1: Hold
0: mm. on a minute. You can see into space, but you can't even do your your, ne-
1: <laughs> your next
0: <laughs> delivery. <text>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: There's something very British about that. There is
3: bit, <laughs> yeah. all this technology, but it causes no. a
2: bit of a problem when every will just leave a parcel on your doorstep. Can't do that here. Yeah,
3: yeah exactly. Yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh! So we've got our own power station as well. That's probably
1: worth.
3: We do. Yeah, so. so you are yeah.
1: kind of very self-sufficient yes. because yes. you have yes. to be. Yeah, we do. Yeah. So
3: so we're not on the on the national grid we generate our own power. So the radar, because it looks 3,000 miles into space, it needs a lot of energy to look and track various objects at any one time. So we need to generate our own power. So the power station does that, and I think it seems like 1.8 megawatts of power at any one time, but we can boost up to five, six, seven, eight, eight megawatts because if there's a satellite breakup, what you will see is rather than just one object, a satellite, you'll see maybe splintering into 30, 40 different pieces of debris up in space. So we need to direct energy to identify where these other objects are, these break up effectively. So it's a draw on energy. We need to be able to do that constantly.
0: You know, I was thinking when we were driving up here, Martin Lewis would have a field day, wouldn't he, on, on, <laughs> on what you do here. Can, can you imagine having to pay off the national grid? That would be mad, wouldn't it? Absolutely. Unless you'd be shut down in a week, in her ears. Lacey, I, I need to just say, when you fill in a form or somebody asks you what your job title is and you say... Space analyst. I mean, that's pretty cool, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That's pretty Gucci. Yeah, there's
2: many different variations of it. So my job title at the minute is orbital analyst for Space Track Support, which is a really good one. My other job previously was Space Track Operator or Space Track Analyst. But yeah, there's a the space side of the mission at Firlandales requires subject matter experts, which comes from Circle on our side. So the RAF are there watching their screens twenty four seven, and they know what looks normal. So when something does not look normal to them, that's when they'll pull the circle and list in and say there's something going on here. What's
1: going on? Richie alluded to the um, amount of debris that's in space at the moment. So, how do you filter all that out and actually see what you want to see?
2: So, the Americans, as evidenced by the flag, actually <laughs> set up something called the Space Surveillance Network, the SSN, and it's made up of 30 plus sensors of all different types. So, ours is a phased array radar, you've got optical sensors, you've got telescopes, you've Got mechanical radars, many different sensors. Fallandales makes up a contribution somewhere between 12 and 20 percent of the contribution to the SSN. As one of 30 sensors, that's that's a huge contribution. And the Americans give Fallandales high praise for the amount of the quality of data that we send. So what they're doing is they're maintaining a catalogue of all of the objects in space. So we know what an object is and where it is at all times. Um, so I've got some figures. I've got some figures for you. Oh, we always like figures. So that's, that's so, so since, sexy. Yeah. Let's do this. Um, so because you're here for the anniversary of, of, of the spa, mm. so in the past 30 years, I've got figures going back to the 1st of January, 93. So just shy of your 30 years. Since then, we've tracked over 50 million tracks. Mm. Wow. And there's been almost 2,500 launches into space there has been catalogued 31 and a half thousand objects now 31 and a half thousand objects in the past 30 years but almost a third of that in the last three years there was that's wow. extraordinary that is extraordinary yeah. so it's the last three years since well let's go ahead and blame them since spacex um, <laughs> <laughs> with, with the fantastic them. <laughs> technology that they have brought to space like bringing down the costs of launching objects into space. Um, So their Starlink constellation, they launch 60 in one go because they've got this, um, it's quite innovative the way they've done it. They're basically flat-pack satellites. So they stack them, 60 in one go, and then they just release them like a deck of cards out into space. And they eventually just get to where they're going. And the technology that has gone into putting that many objects in space has passed around many is, different Is
1: there people. no regulation? Mm.
2: No. So the only regulation is with the FCC. So what transmissions are you using? You have to have some kind of debris mitigation plan. And there's also most agreements around the world are voluntary as well. That there's a voluntary agreement that satellite operators, once their satellite is no longer of use to them, that satellite will be disposed of within 15 years. 15 years is a heck of a long time. But depending on where you are in space, if you didn't do anything, you could be there for decades, mm. centuries. So telling them you need to remove your satellite is actually a way of cleaning up space.
3: The amount of objects in space is a problem. Mm. And, that, mm-hmm. and the junk, and the, it's a problem. You know, recognised by the UN, yeah. and they've got various bodies within the UN who are looking at saying, you know, we need to have more legislation yeah. and, and, and more collaboration, so that. Countries aren't just shoving whatever they and want
1: to do. Sending Tesla cars into space. Tesla, yeah. Exactly, yeah. Sending yeah, Tesla out, cars into space.
2: I, <laughs> <laughs> So the previous record was in 2014 when the Russians launched 37 satellites in one go. It seemed like quite a few, right? In 2017, so three years later, India put in 104 in one go. And if you find that there's some videos online where you basically just see them just released one at a time. And from, if I remember correctly, it had a relatively high failure rate because they were just just thrown out. But that's
1: litter, isn't it?
2: Basically, yeah. Because a lot of these satellites are just, I probably shouldn't speak badly of of universities, (laughs) but (laughs) student experiments. And they maybe will just be, the height that they go up, they maybe will just be there five, ten years. But... I personally think it's a bit irresponsible if you're not making a big contribution to mm. society.
1: Can that potentially compromise your prime role? Are you detecting, you know, ballistic missiles? No, inter- so the
2: radar will always protect its primary mission. Right. So it always defaults to its primary mission. It will not be broken by amount of satellites in space. It'll just it protects itself. So good it tonight. knows <laughs> it. <yeah. laughs> good yeah, oh it gosh. protects its primary mission at all costs, basically.
0: It doesn't make it any easier, does it, for it? That's the thing for for anybody when there's all this junk flying around. So
2: 104 was, was the record. SpaceX brought that in 2021, 143 in one go. And once they get Starship going, which is another massive capability, they could be doing 200.
3: So we, we, we spoke about the satellites and students and universities putting satellites up. There are a lot of good things with it. So the things that the satellites do and even Elon Musk, you know, the Starlink program is allowing global internet access. So everyone's going to have internet access, which is quite a positive thing. We might even get it in Whitby. I don't know. <laughs> I'm yeah. Never. as much
2: as it causes difficulties for the SSN I think Ukraine would attest to how important Starlink is yeah. or has been for them
1: that's a
3: really good um, point And, you know, what the other satellites do as well, so different levels of where they are and what the capabilities are. You know, we think very military. You know, there's lots of other satellites around there that are doing incredible jobs in terms of, you know, monitoring sea levels, temperatures, global temperatures, uh, different farming products.
0: And I think as well that sometimes people don't realise just how important space is in the respect of like when we were driving here today with the sat-nav, we wouldn't have been able to do that but I wonder how much of our daily life if you took that aspect of space away
2: that we could continue to do yeah it would be significantly different there's like disaster contingency plans for if we lose access to space it would almost send us back into the dark ages we're tremendously dependent on space which is why we want to keep it as safe as possible and if people could stop sending up things <laughs> that would be right.
1: I'm we just thinking, can't. do I really want to go on the space station right now with all this Ooh. stuff flying around? It feels like they're playing dodgens up there <laughs> with all this stuff.
0: I read somewhere they'll get a message saying, oh, there's some incoming space debris, so they all have to go into the capsule and get ready to, and then it's all like, you know, squeaky bum time for a bit, you know, and then it's sort of just like, goes to the top of the night,
2: you're all OK again now. Mm. Space is massive. How is that? And that's because of these people chucking junk up there all the time. So those ones, the ones that we see day in, day out, you can predict where they're going to be in a few days' time. So you can predict that's going to get within this distance of the space station. So we've got a bit of time. That goes on every single day. It's called conjunction analysis. The objects we know are there right now and monitor, we're fine with those. It's the newly created objects. So the last time that I know of that the astronauts and cosmonauts were told get into your capsules and just prepare was when Russia destroyed one of its own satellites in November. That created over a thousand new pieces in an instant and it was at a height where the ISS was. But we've had two more events similar to that um, within the past three weeks.
0: Okay, so Rich, you you see the normal, and when you see the abnormal, you get Lacey in.
3: Yeah, Yeah, I think that's fair to say.
0: So, you know, it's a Thursday afternoon, everybody's having a cup of tea, Lacey comes steaming in here, like... How scared are you? are you? Are you like, oh my gosh, yes, this is a big one?
3: No, it's exciting because <laughs> something's going to something's happening, and when the two can combine, because like, we work so closely together. Yeah. I'm not saying it's the normal because it's not, but it's very interesting because that kind of you know stuff that's going on up there. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting, really interesting stuff, and so within an hour you can learn something about a particular type of launch or what type of where it is in space, why it isn't where it is. So you learn an awful lot more when things do happen. If it was just the normal, a few few ballistic launches every couple of years, it's fairly humdrum. When something like this happens, it speeds your your knowledge process up.
1: Because to a layman, it it could sound that it is quite chaotic up there. But actually, I get the sense of there is control here. Yeah, fortunately, space is still quite vast. Yeah. The world knows it's
2: an issue. And there is a lot of companies working really hard on ideas to clean up space. ESA are funding something called Clear Space, which is like a giant octo grabber. Yeah. That's a really good This is
1: Moonraker stuff, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it I is, saw yeah,
2: that. I saw that
0: at DSEI. Yeah. Th- like the space grabber. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was like, I said to my mum when I got home, you would not believe half the things I've seen. Is that something I need to be investing in?
1: <laughs> I guess, well, it depends which companies are doing it. I could name drop some. Um, so I know Astroscale have been working. Other companies are available.
2: Companies, yeah. So it's basically all about, right, what is up there right now? What what can we get rid of? So you're talking about big giant nets. You're talking about electromagnetic fields. There's just so many ideas out there. Some are more mature than others, but it needs to happen. We need to do something. And I think companies are investing in that.
3: And SpaceX has invested in many ways in the, the region renewable launchers that they use. So the, the giant rocket bodies that power SpaceX up into, into orbit, they return to Earth and they're reusable. You know, SpaceX are kind of thinking about this already. And are doing things about it.
2: They've got a very good deorbit orbit plan as well. So they clean up after themselves. If one of their satellites isn't operational, they do what they can to make sure that isn't a problem for anybody else as soon as they can. So, they don't have many non operational satellites in their constellation right now. They have a five year lifespan because they know that as technology advances so much, a satellite in space that we launched five years ago, the technology on that could be obsolete now. So, let's launch another one that's more future proof. We're going to upgrade our system. Would you ever find that there's perhaps,
0: it sounds like a Bond film, perhaps some nasty people who would want to stick stuff in space but don't tell anybody? So, that is. Impossible. Oh, is it? All oh, right. <laughs> right.
3: if you think about it, the rock—you you need a giant rocket to get something yeah. into yeah. space—and yeah. that signature of a—it's not subtle. You can't. It? Oh, yeah, it's not subtle at all. Could
0: potentially somebody put something into space that you were like, oh yeah, it's just one of those. Whatever, just one of those. It's blooming. It's going to space. You know what I mean? It's just one of those. I'm getting proper sci-fi now. But then release something from that. That's our
2: duty, job. Ah, right. I'm monitoring. Got it. So, yeah.
3: If one becomes two, yeah. then, you know, yeah. you're going to, oh, that's interesting. Um, <laughs>
2: the, trying to think. So if you looked on open source, you will be able to find instances of that occurring. Okay. And we have played a big part in the analysis of that. I can tell, Lacey,
0: that that's never going to get past you. <laughs> <laughs> Not on your watch. No way, never. You've got your running
2: shoes on. You're in this office telling Rich you're yeah. sorting it out. Yeah. Yeah. Am I right? Our, yeah, I'm right. Uh-huh. Our operators, they're staring at that
1: screen 24-7. You mentioned technology and the advances in it earlier on. That big radar out there, which we're all here for. Somewhere behind that. Somewhere ball, yeah. <laughs> in the fog. Marking 30 years of its existence, how often is it updated? Or does it not need to be?
3: So it, the old golf balls in the 60s, they were giant mechanical... We need lots of supplies because things broke. Giant supply chain all the way up to the States. This is very, very different in that it's a solid state, so Mm -hmm. there are no moving parts. A lot of computer processing power yeah. to direct beams of energy where we need it. It's very computer process driven. So any upgrades tend to be not necessarily on the physical infrastructure because it's it does what it does. Yeah. Software, it's yeah. a software yeah. upgrade. That, that's, that's pretty accurate, isn't it?
2: Yeah, so we've just had two big upgrade programs
0: completed. I take it for your software updates as well, you... Plug it in
1: overnight. Yeah, leave it. on and back off, off and then yeah. on
0: again. Yeah. Or it's,
3: well, sometimes yeah, system will reboot if you don't. Oh, oh god! Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> but if, you know, think back to the golf ball back in the sixties. Yeah. So the processing power of those computers back in the sixties was some like two hundred fifty-six kilobytes. So my phone now has got more processing power. So it's that march of technology, which fires change mm. and, and constantly upgrade and upgrade and upgrading to make things better, better.
0: But isn't it mad that back in the sixties, like you're saying, like, you know, that compared to your phone and everything now, that those golf balls
3: were still doing a great job, keeping us safe. That, that technology was back in, was state of the art, mm. you know, think, wow, look at these amazing things. That, and what, what we can do, we can look into space. We can track space launches and things like that. And, amazing.
1: On a slightly more mundane level, we are in the middle of nowhere in North Yorkshire. How big a part is this unit of the local community?
3: Because we are the only military base probably within about 40, 50 miles of this area, we play an important part. So pre-COVID, we would have local groups, community groups coming on site. And we think we've got a story to tell about what we do. And it's difficult to hide, <laughs> there, unless it's foggy. We did, prior to COVID, have a heavy STEM program. Mm-hmm. So bring kids on, air cadets, and you know we'd explain what we do and the importance of that technology. And, and you know we collaborate a lot with our... Contractors, because they are engineers, a lot of them. Mm. You know they have apprentice schemes, so it's quite an attractive place for our local community.
0: And how many people actually work here? How many people? Have you this you is got? just us
3: three. <laughs> <laughs> I'm popping, you know, oh, I'm popping I'm, the yeah. dog. Yeah, and of course. A yeah. in the wheel and <laughs> the, the, the,
0: the
3: radar. Yeah. <laughs> there's about there's about 220 people. 240. Wow. Obviously, a lot of shift workers. There's about 80 military people, and then the rest are all civilian contractors and obviously our ministry of defense police who you met who steered you on so yeah there's it's quite a lot of people
0: we did remark about that, didn't we? When we came on, we were like, we're in the middle of nowhere. Can't even see it. And there's a bloke with a gun. Yeah. It, it, it looks, <laughs> yeah. you know. Beanie
2: gosh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> there's no messing about, is there? You know, up here, if you can't tell me this, it, it's, it's fine. We'll go back to that Thursday afternoon. They hear you steaming up the corridor. You've seen something that's a bit abnormal. Everybody's, oh, what's going on? Have you got a memory of that happening to you? Like, what was the most exciting thing or the biggest thing that? <laughs>
3: Seen. I think um, there was a bit of debris that was coming, I can't remember what, and Sky News were phoning us up saying, oh, there's a bit of debris, where's it going, you know, it's going to land, it's going to come down, and we were one of the centres that was tracking that particular object. It came down in the Pacific in the end. Right. But Sky News, BBC, it, hit the, it really hit the news, and there was a lot of interest about that. <laughs> but I, I seem to remember rightly, in the option, there was a, an air of calmness about it all. <laughs> Because you know we can kind of—it's difficult to predict—but yeah. you know we, we tracked this object for, for quite a while, and, and of course the media were like, "Oh, what's going to happen?" And you're like, "Yeah, I'm yeah, yeah. This know, has I happened. This is a regular. This happens yeah. a lot." I think one of the one of the things about five years ago was we talked about things colliding with each other, satellites and creating all this debris. The operators were looking at International Space Station, and then another object getting very, very close to it, and then it hooked up to it. And of course, it was a Soyuz capsule hooking up to the space station, oh, gosh. and we tracked it live as it, as it happened. And it's a normal thing because as yeah. new astronauts get onto the space station, mm-hmm. so we we can see those from time to time. Mm-hmm. That particular one was Tim Peake. Oh, oh gosh, getting onto the uh, onto the space station. Who's going to be coming to the station tomorrow? Oh wonderful! <laughs> you picked the wrong day, Ginny. <laughs> <laughs> You
0: ever see anything that looks like a ballistic missile that you're like, mm. obviously you might so be able funny, to say. We were
2: just talking about this earlier, weren't we? Whether we can actually talk about it. I did a space brief to the station the other day about our mission, and the aim is to maintain an accurate space catalog, right? Because a decaying satellite, so a re-entering satellite, is essentially an impacting object, right? Okay, which can be determined by radar to be a missile so we need to know where a re-entering satellite is <laughs> so but yeah
3: i think what Lacey said there was that the there's a lot of automated stuff that goes on in the radar so if something pierces our surveillance fence, which is massive, mm-hmm. it will automatically trigger what we call a site report. So we are going to report from here to our network that something's happened. We're not going to say it's a ballistic missile or it's a satellite whatever, whatever. We go through the same process oh, every yeah. time. Mm-hmm. And the commander over there, he'll have 60 seconds to make a determination of Gosh. if our radars working. So there's a lot of pressure on these yeah. young, young people over there. But they will send this information back to UK Space Command and yeah, UK Space Operations Centre down in High Wycombe. But it's automated, so boom, something pierces the fence, triggers our site report, boom, they're going to straight into 60 seconds of, like, our radar is working fine, they check with the engineers, are we seeing something that we shouldn't be, or doesn't matter. There'll be other sight- sensors, will also see the same thing. So you have about, it's not just those, there'll be about three or four, maybe even more. And they were to determine, yeah, that's a burn-up of whatever rocket body is triggered of a couple of, you know, that, that's quite, say normal. It is quite normal. Yeah. And then obviously practice ballistic missiles, which happens. Countries practice launching ballistic missiles. Again, that will trigger our radar. You know, the French do tests launching from submarines and obviously we're very close, so that's going to trigger our yeah. radar. But we, we tend to know about a lot of this stuff. But it do, doesn't matter. We still go through the same process of, boom, oh, site report, Six seconds, is our radar working correctly? Yes, it is. Right. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Squeaky button.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah.
3: And, and off we go, off we go.
0: So, did you guys see, um, you know, when Jeff Bezos went into space for like 30 seconds yeah. with William Shatner on board? Yeah. Did you see that? No.
3: No, he exactly. didn't go into space. No, he
2: didn't.
3: Was it Branson? It was Branson. Yeah. 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 No, got to space. Oh, All
2: right. Okay. okay. It's 10 kilometres, John. So. <laughs> <laughs> I love
0: how you do the little quotation marks. There. <laughs> That's just That's right space. there. Yeah,
2: yeah. So there's a an internationally recognised line. It's called the carmen line of space, where space starts. It's a hundred kilometres, and Virgin Galactic get up to ninety. And so they redefined the border of space. So that yeah.
1: They can, be can afford to, can't <laughs> they? <it? laughs> It's but controversial. You... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, why but it's you... one of our guys that's flying the jumbo that.
3: Launches oh, Cosmic it, Girl. Saying? Yes, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So he's a RAF pilot. His name is Stanard. Stanard. That's right. Stanny awesome. Stanard. So that's due to. I'm not. You'll probably have more data than me, Lacy, But so when they're going to launch it from Cornwall, mm-hmm. I mean, we'll we'll see that obviously. But we're just not sure when it's going to be launched. It was supposed to be in November, but mm. we're kind of getting towards the end now. And. But that's it's really significant that is so significant last time we launched a british satellite we've never done it on british soil ever it was in australia in woomera in 1972 or 71 so it's you know 50 years ago it's still up there it's still going around this particular satellite but that we, we did it one time and that was it but it'll and be the like this program was cancelled so this com- is a big thing
0: compared to everything else that will be like the mini metro won't say <laughs> you know what i mean if, there, if there's a hybrid car going around there that's going to be a mini metro <laughs> But built to last, probably. Yeah,
2: we've only got uh, small launches scheduled for this country because we're so high in latitude as well. We'd only be suitable for certain orbits. So the launch complexes in America are huge. Uh, there's multiple launch pads in Kennedy Space Center. So our proposed sites in this country will be more like launches and shipping containers, which is another innovation. It's basically just a self-contained launch system in a shipping container, which will end up in the Shetlands or somewhere in Scotland. And we'll just open it out and then launch from that. It's the new thing, launch in a box. <laughs> but you know, I thought for a minute you were talking about launching a shipping container. <laughs> I, I thought like, that as well <laughs>
1: haven't i was no, like, well yes. they used for everything
0: else <laughs> <laughs> cool guys thank you ever so much do you know what jamie i just keep thinking back to that day i had such a laugh what an absolutely brilliant bunch of people and i learned so much my head was aching afterwards.
1: But who who knew they did all that stuff? I mean, it's so much more than just looking out for ballistic missiles. It's I mean, what Lacey had to say about what's up there. Actually, I found quite disturbing because it's like we're trashing the planet now. And now we're going to go at trashing space with all that junk that's up there. So I just think it's a bit of a warning to all of us really to get a grip.
0: Definitely. But there's so much passion wasn't there as well uh, from everybody speaking. I just absolutely loved it. A massive thank you to Rich, Sarah, Lacey and of course the lovely Poppy the Labrador as well who was a big part of that team. So what have we got next week then, Jamie?
1: Well, it's the big one really, isn't it? Because we are looking ahead to the prospects of Santa hitting the skies <laughs> yes! and more importantly, how we can all find out where he is and what he's doing and you know what he's up to. So we will be sort of heading back to Filing because they've got a bit of a system on but we're going to repeat what we did last year aren't we speaking to NORAD in the States
0: yes the fantastic Captain Alex Hedgeduck will be joining us speaking all things Santa all things NORAD and like you say Jamie we're back to Filingdale's for a little bit as well I cannot wait it's so Christmassy.
1: and of course if you want to get involved with the programme we'd love to hear from you and if you've got any questions you want us to ask NORAD then get them to us pronto and it's MavGeeks at BFBS.com
0: brilliant Christmas jumpers next week ta ta-ra